What is your job when you no longer have a job? What is your work when you don't go to work anymore? When you retire, you gain such a lot, like freedom and time and multiple choice. You left with relief. So why this incongruity of grief? Work gave you friends, a schedule, a label, a space, and a fable. A reason to get out of bed, a dress code, and your daily bread. And at your very core, a sense of who you are and what you're for. Rachel McAlpine, Poetry, What is Your Job? Welcome to Tea, Toast, and Trivia. Thank you for listening in. I am your host, Rebecca Budd, and I am looking forward to sharing this moment with you. I am traveling virtually to Wellington, New Zealand to meet up with Rachel McAlpine, a digital content pioneer eminent New Zealand poet and author of 30-plus books. She joins me today to discuss her poetry and embracing our evolving journey with joyful anticipation. Rachel became obsessed with the aging process from a personal point of view. At 75, when she discovered that her life expectancy was 99, she devised a boot camp for her bonus years. The outcome of this initiative was realistic optimism and a sense of control. Now at 82, Rachel is helping others to confront the mixed blessing of longevity. She inspires confidence that we can shape our old age. I invite you to put the kettle on and add to this exciting conversation. Thank you, Rachel, for joining me today. I am excited. Thanks for asking me. I'm sure it'll be fun. I think you have fun and a lot of laughter in your life. That's true. Somebody came up to me and my friend the other day and said, I do like hearing people have a good laugh because we're a bit loud, actually. (laughs) Rachel, you have an unusual way of embracing the aging process, and yet you use creativity and your poetry as the medium to discuss the challenges of aging. Could you tell me more about that journey? Certainly, aging is something that has been the bee in my bonnet, I suppose, for nearly eight years. So 75 was my wake-up birthday. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit late, I know, for it to dawn on you. Oh, I'm not young anymore. It's true. I've written 30 books, but a lot of them are very small books. I've written nonfiction, especially about digital content, and about writers. I've written novels and plays, and I keep on writing poetry. And I've also got a play coming up. It's in development right now, and it will be produced in Wellington at the Circa Theatre at the end of this year. And that's based on conversations with people in their 90s. 90 is a long way from 80, and it's not somewhere we kind of expect to be. I do like poems for this particular exploration. 
as you know, I write a blog and there's a lot about aging in that. And that's mostly prose. But I have noticed that it's really hard to write prose about old age because, frankly, there is such a huge amount written. You can imagine I've been gobbling it up. I've been reading everything I can lay my hands on. But ever since the aging demographic has become a thing and so that we're more and more old people and a higher proportion of old people, there has been, understandably, heaps of research. I'm sure you've read a lot yourself. It is fascinating. Research studies that go on for decades and cover thousands of people. I mean, we know a lot. And policies about healthy aging from the government and so on. Just about every kind of prose. So I don't want to add to that. (laughs) Why would I? What do I know? But poems about this topic seem to have a much more personal impact. And I'm also very scared of preaching or lecturing people. I just find it interesting. I'll read a poem that kind of explains why poetry works for me. This is the second poem in the book. And of course, the book is called How to Be Old. There's a pretty clear message about the subject matter. This poem is called It's All About You. This is the story of you, as you are now or as you will be one day. I'm young. It looks like the story of me as I tackle the shock of being old right now and watch a spooky movie of my future self surfing over a silver wave and onto a golden tide of the super old, the oldest old, and stay there barreling on and on until I flip and tumble off. In other words, I die. This looks like the story of me today, this minute, and in the soon of future. But no, I'm not the subject. And this is not a memoir. This is the story of you. So that's kind of what happens and what I want to happen, whether you're reading it or listening to me. Because it's a poem... I mean, mind always flickers on and off when you're listening to somebody. That's neurologically inevitable, I guess, and quite right too. But with a poem, you kind of expect it. Your mind floats in and out. And I mean, there, I'm just dishing it to you. This is a story of you, but it happens anyway. So say you're listening to the poem that you read about what is your job when you haven't got a job anymore. I mean, of course, you're not thinking about me. You're thinking about your own retirement, if that's appropriate, or the changes in your own life. So you kind of watch and listen and think your own thoughts. Actually, I think a poem is a kind of a dance, really. I think that's why. I like that. Last month, beginning of December, in Wellington, there was a poet's cabaret. It's something that happens sometimes. And I did a poem that's called How to Be Old. And I had three of my friends, and I called them the white-haired dancers, which they were. And, you know, they're just dancing and just being themselves. And I thought, you know, they're saying as much as I am, because people are looking at them and thinking, oh, that's another way to be old. That looks like fun, you know, and it's enough. You write that confronting your own longevity and taking action can bring measurable results, realistic optimism, and a sense of control. 
you believe there is a comfortable way for midlifers to prepare for their very old age. Why should we prepare? They're two halves of the same thing, really, aren't they? Confronting our own longevity and reacting and thinking, oh, what'll I do? Perhaps I should take this seriously and try and prepare a little bit. I had a brand new thought this morning. Isn't that exciting? I'm sure other people have thought it, but I hadn't. I thought, you know, we're very familiar with memento mori. Remember, you must die. I mean, ever since Socrates, it's a good thing to think about. And it's hard to remember you must die. And we've got lots of English sayings that kind of echo it in a way, like gather ye rosebuds and seize the day and live for the moment and so on, because you might die tomorrow. Any sort of mindfulness training will tell you to do that, and it's good. But I thought, if we're like you and me, we've got a roof over our heads. In my case, we have a superannuation, educated woman, friends, and the world has changed completely. We get better nutrition. It's not unrealistic at all to realize that we could live a very long time. Not by choice necessarily, but that could happen. So I think we need an extra mantra, which would be memento vivere, and therefore memento senescere. So remember, you've got to live. Remember, you're probably going to grow old. I mean, to garble the Latin a little bit. And that's even harder, really, to realize that we might stay alive. We might live long. And that's very important for our future. We know what makes for a good old age. We know perfectly well how we should eat, or that at least we do some exercise. Then we have friends and family and we have good relationships and that we have a purpose in life that would be a nice thing, a nice extra. But, you know, the bare bones, it's not a secret, you know. There's no magic wand that you wave. There's no secret that some people know and nobody else does. It's public knowledge once it does dawn on you that you might grow very old, you might grow even halfway old. People have these thoughts when they're in their 30s and 40s. You might think about preparing because there's no shortage of advice. I'm a nerd at heart as well as a poet, and so I took it very seriously once I woke up. I did my spreadsheet. I love a good spreadsheet. And I worked my way through just doing little tiny things, baby steps, nothing that was hard. Much later, when after it finished, I looked back and I thought, did all those lots and lots of little things, and that was wonderful. But what happened was some of those little things kind of fizzled out, but at least one or two of them just grew into big things. They became real habits, and they led to other things. I was thinking it's the opposite of the old woman who swallowed a fly. (laughs) (laughs) If you think it was an old woman who swallowed a fly, but think of it as a good way, that's how it goes. You didn't swallow a fly, you did one press up after breakfast or you rang one friend you hadn't heard of for ages. And then that just became a little bit bigger and then it grows. I mean, it's a well-known thing that people who join a gym and go, they tend to start improving their diet. It's much simpler than I imagined. And so when you say there's a comfortable way to prepare, of course there is and it always has to be your way. I think it's the sense of control you get because you're actually doing something. You're not doing nothing. If you know it's coming and you do nothing at all, that makes it worse. If you do even this much, you think, oh, good, I can control that much. 
people want to remain in a career because they attach value to that career. Even as we age, we want to be valued. We want to be validated. We want to be able to give back to a society that has been good to us. And yet, as we age, more and more of us disappear. The question is, why do we give such importance to our careers? It is natural. I mean, not everybody has got a job that does give them validation, but at least it gives them something like that schedule and the group of people that they're with and a place to be, even if it's a calling. Work just has traditionally occupied so much of our day and our week and our year and our life that a shift away from that is very hard. I mean, you're lucky or clever if you realize that if you can add something to your home life and your work life, because that endures and you get a lot of satisfaction. You also said something about we grow invisible and at a certain point and it's hard to know how to engage. And it is. One thing I notice is that at my age, certainly you can be invisible. I think I'm at the point now where that's okay. I think that's kind of interesting. I can just watch other people and see what's going on. You know, I've had quite a lot of experience with watching people and um, it's always interesting. But then at other times, it's almost the opposite. When I'm absolutely astonished to realize people are listening to me and hanging on my every word and, oh my God, now, do I have to say something awfully important? I mean, I just want a cup of coffee, please, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Old age doesn't come naturally, I don't think, to everybody. Certainly it didn't to me. I was just the same. I really did not see myself as old, even when I was 70. I would look at old people, and if I didn't know them, there's a great gap, a sort of cognitive dissonance between the people you know who are old, who are totally individual, and some of them you adore, and some of them that you think, oh my God, I couldn't be like that if that's what being old. But when you don't know them, you can look at the gray heads as a sort of sea of people all the same, you know, and your eye can kind of slide over them if you're not in that group or can't think can't recognize that that's you. (laughs) So I don't know, humans are funny. The weirdness of old age that kind of appeals to me as much as anything else. Old people are always 10 years older than you. I've read that. I'm sure we have too. Your poetry speaks so much to what we've been talking about. Would you share your poetry with us today? Thank you, Rebecca. I'd love to read. I'll read a couple, shall I? Yes, they're not long. And they're about the pleasures and the different sort of pleasures that you have in old age. A little one I wrote, it's quite an old one, really. I think I wrote this, believe it or not, in my 50s. It's called Love Poem to My Body. Dearest, may I call you dearest after all this time? The warmth of you, the strength of you, the voice of you, the choice of you the start of you, the art of you, the mighty brain and heart of you, your spine and shadow, flaws and cells that look so good and work so well. At last I'll say it loud and clear. I love you, want you, thank you dear, my sturdy splendid body.
So that's a kind of antidote. All the complaints we make about our body that tries very hard, doing its very best. And this one's about those very, very simple pleasures, how much they mean if you look at them. This one's called Happiness at Lunch. Five friends met for lunch when one was briefly back in town. The meal was good, but that was not the source of joy. The talk was good, but that was not the source of joy. All of us anticipated joy. We scheduled joy. We planned it and arranged it. We decided, we committed, and we chose it. We knew there would be joy, and so there was. We all have sorrow in our lives. Sorrow is not diluted or denied by joy. Sorrow settles in the corner, on a sofa, watching, mellowing, taking a break. Five friends chatter and embrace and take their place and fill this space with joy. There's a nuance that comes through and comes to your heart and it just, it fills you so that you become warm and whole and joyful. You speak of belonging. Five friends, place, space, take their place. It's like we belong. It's true, belonging in the world. <laughs> yes. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing your profound insights on the gift of longevity and accepting that we will evolve and become even more experienced. A long way off, but we're onto it. <laughs> Just really good. And thank you. Thank you for joining Rachel and me on Tea, Toast and Trivia. Listeners, you can meet up with Rachel on her website, Write Into Life, on Amazon, and on Goodreads. You are only an internet click away from journeys that enrich the soul. Until next time we meet, dear friends, keep reading and reciting poetry. Safe travels wherever your adventures lead you.